Third Degree the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer 90. Soccer 90 is your source for all your FC Dallas, US national team, and international club gear. Everything from jerseys, scarves, tees, and soccer equipment. All Third Degree listeners receive 25% off all other gear when you use code Third Degree at checkout on Soccer90.com. Some exclusions may apply. Third Degree, the Third Degree Podcast. Third Degree. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious Fan. Welcome to another episode of Q episode number oh, 146 of Third Degree, the podcast. Hi, it's me, Peter. Joined today first by Dan Crook. Hello, Dan. Hey, Peter. I'm going to try and uh, be audible today. <laughs> oh, that's choice. <laughs> I pre- I think everybody will uh, applaud that. Thank you, Dan. Uh, and, of course, your hero, everybody's hero, uh, editor and founder of thirddegree.net. In year 25, the amazing Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Hi, Peter. Calling in today from Columbus where it's very cold and I'm pretty much by myself on the Jesus Ferrer as a nine boat bus right now post game. Yes, we are recording just a mere about 30 minutes post US 1, El Salvador 0. And I, I think, I think uh, when the lineups came out, the big talking point was the fact that Pepe was not starting. And we'll get to him in a second. Uh, but in fact, it was Jesus Ferreira getting the start today. And um, you know what? He had a he created a uh, he had a really nice touch to create himself an opportunity early in the game. He just hit it uh, off target, but it was that second chance off the way a header, the deflected header that uh, he probably chose the wrong foot. Yeah, I actually thought on the day overall he was excellent. Other than yes, using the wrong foot, that's a legit criticism. If he had his left foot on that thing, it would have gone in. But um, he did have the assist on the Robinson goal. I mean, it looks to me like he's directing that header to, towards him. You oh, know, totally. I'm calling right. that an assist. And he, had a, he had almost had another one later. But overall, more importantly, uh, is that the idea that as a false nine, which is the way that FC Dallas is going to play with him, when you're going up against a team that was likely going to sit deep the whole game, that kind of striker works better, and, um, and I certainly believe so, and this is what obviously the coach felt too, than a Pepe does, you know, a build-up striker, which is what Jesus would be in that case. So um, I thought it worked really well, and I even thought it worked even better in the second half than the first half. And then they took him out and the team kind of stopped working. And I think it's pretty indicative. I mean, it took Pulisic out too, but Pulisic wasn't, doesn't change the way the team played compared to Pepe versus Zardes. That's a fundamental change in the style and that changed the whole thing. And I think you can really tell that Jesus' value uh, in that game, even though he did not score the goal that he probably should have with his left foot. Yeah. Every time we get into one of these new uh, cycle windows, I am reminded instantly how much I <clears throat> both love and hate World Cup qualifying in very equal measures because you see the United States, you see all that talent, you see all those guys that are playing at the highest level. We've never had this before and you're like how are we not destroying El Salvador? And you just and then you just have to remember it's CONCACAF World Cup qualifying and it's never easy. Just look at Mexico and Jamaica today. You know, that that result is ridiculous. Jamaica down a man goes up a goal and, and Mexico has to scramble to win that game 2-1. Well, and certainly we all know there are ways for a team that is not as good to stifle a team that's good. You can see it at all levels of soccer all over the world, whether it be for professional or international. 
you know, or even down to amateur levels, people know how to do this. You know, it is that's one of the criticisms that people make of soccer is that you can stifle and kill a game. And clearly El Salvador was doing that as much as possible, trying to kill the game as much as they could and perhaps steal it. So, you know, I, listen, it also is a three games in a short very window, a tight window. So the coach needs to do a little bit of rotation. He's going to chart some different people. I'm sure Pepe will probably start the next one, probably was going to start the next one even before this game happened. So, um, you know, overall, I thought it was a grind out kind of point for the United States. And I thought Jesus was good. And I thought if, if you're an FC Dallas follower, this was a great game to watch to sort of get <laughs> ideas for how Dallas is going to play because it's yeah. the same system. And that's the key piece of it is Jesus. And you could even see the very specific differences between stylistically, not a direct comparison, but Pulisic playing as a false wing coming inside underneath, which is what some of the FC Dallas guys do, versus Wea, who stylistically only plays more like an Ubreon does, which is the straight vertical t- style. So, you know, fascinating to watch if you want to compare and think about how Dallas is going to play this year. I want to take a second to comment on El Salvador, who, by the way, aren't having a very good qualifying cycle. Um and and they really are a team that is going to have to uh, fight hard to uh, to get any kind of result. I do feel like that's a team that is ever so. I mean, is it just me or do I feel like that's a a team of well organized good players? They just don't have a game breaker, a changer or two that can really just take them to the next level. They're not a terrible soccer team. Well, it's just talent. That's why they on the broadcast talked about the idea that Al Salvador is scouring the world, trying to find talent that has some sort of connection to their country. It's just too small of a country to produce the high volume of high level talent that you need. They certainly have had great players come through there and they probably still do have some great players. And we just can look at Zarco and our own club's history to know that they have good players come through there. So, um, and there's still guys in that league and MLS and other leagues around the world and that team, excuse me, not the league, you know, so um, they're not the same as Mexico and the United States anymore or Canada, you know, but they're still decent. Still, still conquer calf, still tough out anytime. Um, I, we're not a, uh, us men's national team or national team podcast. And I don't want to get too bogged down into this before we get into this stuff. Uh, well, I am going to ask <laughs> Dan, I, I'm going to, I'm going to assume my good English friend from Luton town that you didn't watch, uh, much of this game. Did you? Uh, well, I was trying to go to the afternoon practice at FC Dallas, which was apparently moved or cancelled. <laughs> they didn't take me up on my idea of putting together a media chat room or something they could post such changes to alert <laughs> no. media to? No, mm-hmm. no so okay. I, got to the, the, I got to the training ground to find nobody there uh, at the posted times. Um, the more things so, yeah. change, the more they stay the same, I Absolutely. think the saying goes. <laughs> Uh, so on the plus side, I got to see the half uh, the half of the game that Jesus Ferrer didn't miss a sitter in. Uh, I did get to see his assist. Wonderful, cultured, very nice. Taylor Twelman, go screw yourself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, excellent. Uh, I, again, I don't want to get bogged down into this, but I do want to comment because there was one player to me that really continues to shine. And it's the it's one guy I don't think anybody... I just think he's getting overlooked so much. And that is Walker Zimmerman. That cat has really elevated his game. And I uh, we talked about him, I think, at the last cycle. And I had totally lost track on his age. I didn't realize he was already like 27 or 28. So he's 
really too old for a European move, at least a big money move. And I, but I, I hope you guys agree with me and see the same thing I'm seeing. I just love his game. He's really, really turned into a fantastic center back. Oh yeah, no, I, I agree with that. He's he's got a tenacity that um, certainly in this back four, there's a grit and tenacity in Zimmerman that's not obviously clear in the other guys. You know, Richards, who I thought had a really nice game. To, does not have that demonstrative in your faceness that you need some guys to have in Concacaf. Uh, Des certainly does not have that. Although he did play like two or three plays of defense this time, which was actually kind of fun to see for the first time in a long time. Um, and then Robinson on the side looks great, but uh, you know there are games where, particularly road games, where you you're really going to want uh, Zimmerman's nastiness. You know, and and if you're talking about trying to make a World Cup team, there may be even a place for that. Uh, even if he's not the still starter by the Hell time the World yes. Cup runs around, like there might be a game where you're like, go in there and just pound the tar out of somebody. You know, well, that has a place. Well, I'm going to go so far as to say, one, he wins every air ball in his area. Like yeah. he just dominates in the air. And two, I think he's actually a really, really high level passer of the ball. He he is a center back, not afraid to play a ball on the ground vertically to a guy in between defenders in split lines versus just defaulting to whoever's playing out wide to the right or left. And 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 you just I, I didn't I don't remember ever seeing him do that for Dallas. Most certainly, uh, he just have a level of confidence in his passing that I really enjoy. And I just I think he's been the most con- probably the overall most consistent player on the team. Uh, over the last several games he's played, at least in my humble opinion. The, the weird thing about, you mentioned the passing, you'd go to training and that's all he's doing. He's doing that, he's putting in these spectacular volleyed finishes and then he gets to game day and he's kind of restricted to pass the hedges, the hedges do it. Well, you know what? It, it, you didn't see this because you didn't see the first part of the game, Dan, but the first real opportunity the U.S. had is that he chipped this lovely ball in behind El Salvador that way up eventually screwed up, I believe. But the fact that a center back made that pass was just, especially Zimmerman, I just was, I was really, I just continued to be impressed. That's so, all. I don't know, I mean, you know, physically and everything, physically, uh, you know, he's, he's not a whole lot different than he was before his Oscar fallout. I know Oscar didn't trust him. And I know at that point of his career, Walker had, you know, you knew at some point every game there would be a brain fart. Would it be a big one? Would it be a little one? Would it cost you the game like in his rookie year, that weird back pass against Portland in the US Open Cup? Or would it be something small like he just, uh, you know, whiffs a ball out for a throw in somewhere? Um, but now he's, he's, you know, wherever it was, I guess it was in LA, you know, he's taken that next step. He's got that, that mental element completely locked down. Um, I was kind of shocked to see. I, I guess I missed it, but somebody tweeted me saying I didn't understand the Zimmerman. It could be his last chance talk. Somebody sent me that too, and I guess somebody on the broadcast said something about this being his last chance. And I just thought Which that was crazy. Like, where did that come from? Like he's phenomenal for club, back to back MLS uh, defender of the year. He's been phenomenal for his country. I mean, you, I, you like you can't fault his game right now. I'm not saying he's an, a shoe-in starter, but he has to be a shoe-in for the World Cup, I, at least as a backup in my mind. Yeah, I mean, the, the defensive pull for the United States, particularly at centre-back, isn't what it once was. I mean, he's got to be somewhere around there. 
Buzz, the other thing I think, at least uh, for people in North Texas in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we really should all just take a few minutes to continue to just allow this whole reality of how much Dallas specific talent is on this team representing the United States. And I'm not even talking about somebody like Walker, who is only a Dallas player by draft, but these kids that literally are from the area that are critical components to this team today. Yeah. You know, some people might point it, you know, to it as the idea that it's just what the Dallas Academy is producing or blah, blah, blah. But you know, it, it's not like the Academy um, invented these guys from scratch, you no, know, right. and they do coach them up, but it's like the, the, almost all these kids that come through the Dallas Academy, very few of them come from the, the whole way from like, they're only like Jesus. Like you can look at any, any of the rest of these guys, which Dallas put a polish on, on certain, some level, but it's just the Dallas area is talent, rich soccer. You can go all the way back to uh, Dallas Texans when, um, uh, guys like um, Omar Gonzalez came through that club and turned into big stalwarts for the national team. Or go back to Jeff Agus way back in the day, who's a Dallas guy. Uh, certainly Western and, and Richardson. Richards came here to be in the academy. Weston is local. Uh, Cannon is from around these parts, I'm pretty sure. Acosta is definitely local. You know, it's there, this is a Pepe from El Paso. That's still Texas, you know. Um, the, North Texas in general has been a soccer hotbed. Uh, in terms of talent production for 40 or 50 years now, producing players at a super high level. It's always been some of the best youth national teams. There are other places too, but uh, you just got to love, like if you're a Dallas area fan or an, an, or an FC Dallas fan, either one, I think you just have to be really proud. I think of the amount of players that have some sort of connection to this club or to the local area. It's super exciting. Well, the U.S. does uh, hold on, and I think overall plays okay today. Like Buzz says, it was a bit of a grind, but all of these World Cup qualifiers are that, and the USA ends up getting their three points against El Salvador, one uh, nothing. Jamaica, as we said earlier, got a very, very late first-half red card. Um, uh, I think it was VAR made the decision on it. Actually ended up going up one nothing and ended up beating Mexico 2-1. Canada beat, is beating Honduras at this moment, and Panama and Costa Rica are at zeros while we're recording this at the moment. I don't know why I'm reading those scores, because by the time people listen to this, the actual results will be done. So... Um, stupid me. Uh, all right. So go, go USA. Now let's go on to the stuff that we're actually good at, which are all things football club, Dallas, my head's spinning guys. I don't know if your head's spinning, my head spinning. I, I am having a hard time collecting myself because all of these things that we've talked about, uh, appear either have happened or appear to be on the brink of happening. And right when we think we're just kind of uh, done absorbing all the goodness, more goodness appears to be on the way. Are you referring to the international spot? They yes. For? Yeah. Like the, the trade with Seattle for 250 Garber bucks <laughs> for an international slot. And I thought, oh, wait, that's got to be for Velasco. And then I went, no, 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 wait a second. They already yeah, have yeah. enough of those slots. Well, you know, pending the odd chance that somebody has screwed up their counting, which would be me, I don't think I have. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I got this on the money. Are you better uh, at the, counting than you are spelling? Yeah. Uh, uh, ooh. No? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm not a great speller. Um, I mean, it's, I'm more of a worse typer than I am a speller. Uh, but the point is, is that um, when, when they drafted the kid 
who's an international that was a bit of a like, oh, that's surprising because that, you know, how desperate Dallas is for international spots. And then they had traded for one they had from Nashville. But, you know, if you add up all those pieces, the kid they drafted would have been the eighth international. And then Alan Velasco, who is yet not official, but it's, you know, I mean, whatever, you know, he's nine. So they had one for him already. And they did a trade for him, another international spot today. And several people were like, oh, there's a spot for Velasco. And I was like, no, no, no. They already had him taken care of. They went and added another international spot for something else. And you, the only reason you do it now is because you need it now. If you need, if you didn't need it until the summer, then you might wait around and see if the market might go down for how much they cost. You might see if you got another green card. You might see if there's a good way you could sell somebody else to clear a spot. You could maybe trade somebody else. You'd have like six months to work it out if it was for the summer. You'd only trade for it if you need it now. So it's clear to me that they're going to do something else in the market for an international player. Now, my to my eye, the gaping hole in terms of pure manpower is in the midfield. If you're going to play a double eight system, which is what we'll talk about it a bunch here in a bit, that's what they're going to play. And right now, as much as you might love Paxson and Brandon Shavania, that's there isn't much else but that. There's some there are some young players that might someday be MLS quality players in that spot, but they're not right now. So that's the spot they're super thin. And so to me, it makes all kinds of sense that that's where they're going to add a player. And it just means this offseason is the craziest offseason we've ever seen. I thought it was going to take them a whole year to be able to solve some of these problems they're fixing really quickly. So uh, they still have some stuff to fix. It, it, this is going to get back to this process idea. It's not going to be overnight, but they're getting a lot of things done. That are and There's a paradigm change happening here in terms of the spend and the willingness to be aggressive. Uh, you can't, I don't think you can deny it. Now, if it's going to work or not, it's a different question. But uh, you have to applaud the mentality shift that is clear and obvious at this point. I got a I got a, a text from a friend of mine in the media who has taken uh, notice of these moves, and he asked me, he says, are the Hunts actually putting together a legit contender this year? And I, I stopped for a second, Dan, and I thought to myself, my my initial reaction is no, but now that I'm starting to think about it and wonder, Dan, are they putting a legit 2022 contender together? In Dan Hunt's mind, every is a contender year. Well, of course, but in reality, you just have to finish seventh. Remember, I didn't ask Dan or... Hunt. I, I didn't ask Dan Hunt. I asked Dan oh. Crook. Okay, I'm, I'm glad we're not doing impressions anymore. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, it's looking more like more and more like it. Um, I think they've uh, definitely realized that they need to invest in the player pool to get some butts in seats for, for part of it, whether that translates to a MLS Cup or not, who knows? So uh, tell me if you if you guys think I'm right here, because as this stuff has gone on over the course of the last seven to ten days, I just keep asking myself if, in fact, this is happening. Because, you know, when we first started hearing this stuff, we're like, no, they're not going to spend $7 million to get a player. That's ridiculous. No, they're not going to go inside the league and go get a, a known league national team player, veteran type. Um, they, they just don't do that. But, of course, now it appears they're doing it. And I keep asking myself, like I think many people are, What's happened? Like, what is going on? And the only thing I can think of, Buzz, is this, is that we know the Hunts, specifically Clark, are the type of people that run these things as bottom-line businesses. And so there probably isn't any coincidence to the fact that this stuff is happening after 
they've cashed in 30 plus million dollars in player sales. Yeah, I, I think there's no question uh, that we've been long told by people that are much more intimately uh, familiar with the team and the way it works and the hunts than you or I or Dan are that the hunts run this business as a money needs to come in before it can go out kind of business. Uh, and over the last, you know, COVID pandemic, basically, since they've sold, you know, four or five players for very pretty decent chunks of money, that's all changing. Um, I also think there perhaps is a small factor here, uh, there, and people hate to hear this, related to the Chiefs in the sense that perhaps there's some recognition with the Chiefs winning lately. Perhaps there's a recognition that their revenue streams have been altered significantly by that concept by that idea of winning and that idea of being in the spotlight and being in the national profile. And maybe that has translated down a little bit to the FC Dallas that you can, in fact, spend money to make money. Now, in the NFL sense, of course, you spent money just signing a guy you drafted for big money, but it's a, the soccer doesn't work quite that way. It works differently. You, you buy with big money rather than sign it. So um, for the most part, yes, it's the fact that money had to come in before it could go back out. But um, you know, there are other subtle, subtle signs going on that there, there are changes happening across the whole organization, not just in players. And that's why I'm, th- I'm, I'm trying to decide big picture if I'm right about this whole idea that the Chiefs are affecting SC Dallas that way. So uh, it's a big stay tuned, granted, on all this stuff, because you didn't ask me whether I thought it was a championship contender or not. Well, uh, I will. I will. Yeah. But I, I do want to clarify. I want to ask you a, a clarifying question about sure. what you just said. You, I don't think you mean that because the Chiefs are now generating all this revenue that that's trickling down to Dallas. You're just saying that because they're spending money and getting results, that that concept is playing well in Frisco. Yes, that's exactly correct. Because okay. the Chiefs are not owned by Dan and Clark. They're owned by Hunt Sports Group. Whereas SC Dallas is owned by just Dan and Clark. It's separate. They're completely separate. It's the conceptual idea that, oh, if we win big and spend money on these big-time star players and a big-time stud coach, then our revenue streams change. And all of a sudden, we went from being a poor team to a rich team in various NFL terms, mind you. They're not the Cowboys, obviously, in that regard. But um, and, and so my some of that behavior is coinciding with Dallas coming out of the out of the back end of the pandemic as crowds are coming back over the last year and this year uh, concerts are happening again at the stadium the bowl games are having people coming in so their revenue streams are picking up okay how do we we have the good revenue stream now from the selling of players how do we then turn it into revenue streams for the first team and maybe this is a sign that it is okay if we spend money and ramp this thing up the revenues will change uh, you know, I, listen, that's a read of the tea leaves from me. I'm just sort of grasping at straws as to why, because it is so different. You, Peter, you've been here forever like me. This is so different than any behavior, both in terms of the players and in terms of everything else around the club that we've ever seen. It's so different. Oh, yeah. It's almost as if the club was sold to a new set of owners. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 that sounds pretty dramatic, but I, I think that's not an unfair analogy. No. You could almost uh, simplify it and kind of say that both organizations are just, they're hitting those phases, right? So, uh, you know, the Chiefs get uh, get into a position where they get Mahomes and all the interest that comes with that. They hit that, that kind of next level in their business and then on, on the playing side, hit that next level of, of winning. Uh, with, with FC Dallas, it's kind of the reverse MLS 1.0, 2.0 and that in that, 
they they 1.0'd up until they got that like three or four or wherever wherever we're at now point or the I guess the generation before um fee that income and then they were like okay that that in itself we've kind of pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps to to now be in a position to spend money without having to go out on a limb to I don't want to say invest because they, I mean they obviously invest to keep the whole thing running but the the income isn't just covering the overheads and keeping the lights on now it's it can be reinvested into into a championship or some kind of success that they can then snowball yeah but a buzz back to the question i asked dan and forgot to ask you do do you think that they have uh they are on the precipice of constructing a legit contender this year uh for this year no the answer is no um there are too many things that have to all hit at once and they're not there are too many question marks and, I, and you could just go from jesus as a, as a nine do we know that that's going to work uh velasco you know pending that actually happening of course knock on wood is 19 shun we don't have really seen a consistent run from him um you know how will uh areola fit in if he has to do it by himself is that working obrian you don't love him no matter what they got only Paxton and Cervania in midfield. Sixth spot is a weak spot. Their two center backs are either old or still inexperienced. Right back is either Ima or a guy we've never seen from Portugal. Ryan's getting old, and the backup's a generation Eastern freshman college guy. Maurer was hurt. Is the new keeper any good? I mean, you Gosh. can listen. Man, I know. You bum me out, dude. I know. Talk about buzzkill. I wrecked it, right? So, They're going to be yeah, last place buzzkill. again. Wooden yeah, spoon, no. 2022, here we come. <laughs> well, I don't think I don't think all those things are going to go wrong, nor are they all going to go right. Something's not going to go right. So it's like there, you're still missing, uh, and maybe we'll see what happens with another eight, but I think you, you're still missing. Where, the, where's the Diego Valeri, right? The, the, the game the, changer. The Vela, yeah. The guy that's like, it's the semifinal, and I need a goal in the 90th minute. You know what I mean? He's having a medical in Brazil. Yeah, right. Well, metaphorically, you know what I meant, right? So, like, and where's the um, stability of the defense? Like, last year, so many goals were given up. You know, so we don't know. You know, there's a new coach. There's new systems. It's just, I think a lot of it's going to go right, and I think the team's going to be better, and we'll get into real projections when we get closer to the season. But uh, I don't think th- – this is the, the idea where they started tamping down of the process, where they tried to slow roll everybody and make everybody back off the hype because they knew that this was going to come in and everyone was going to go crazy. Well, I mean, it's a process. Uh, yeah, it is a process. It's <laughs> going to take more than one year to go. You're not going to be an MLS Cup contender for with one season of change. Okay, so let's uh, put this to the test. What is the biggest part of all of this? Is it A, again, assuming that this happens, the signing of the 19-year-old Argentine wonder kid for a whole bunch of million dollars, uh, Alan Velasco? Is it B, signing MLS veteran Paul Areola? Or C, is it both of those things? Buzz? Well, for this year, the biggest difference will be Areola because he's a consistent factor that you know what you're getting, and he should be able to walk in and perform at a really high level. When you're talking about a 19-year-old wonder kid, you don't know what you're getting. You might be getting uh, Barco, you know, who has very little impact for, what, what, two years before you finally did anything. You know, you just don't know. MLS is different than the league the kid's coming from. You know, and you're talking about a 19 year old kid who's going to be living out of his home country. And there was a lot of vibe that he didn't really want to go. You know what I mean? So I'm just saying, <laughs> the Maro like, Diaz don't, effect. Yeah, Maro Diaz effect, like out of your home thing. You don't have your girlfriend with you. Like, we've seen a couple of people come here 
and have their girlfriend not be able to get a visa and they bail. I'm not, I have no idea what his personal life is like. I'm just saying that that's a thing, right? Off field doesn't matter. They even created a whole department just for it, not girlfriend department, but uh, you know, helping people <laughs> off the field department. <laughs> we have an office on Harry Hines. Yeah, right. <laughs> Goodness. I'm just saying that like when you're talking about a kid that young, there's a whole lot that can go wrong and impede his instant impact. You know, down the line, he'll be, if everything goes like it's supposed to, when you pay $7 million, he'll be a much better player than Paul Ariola. But for this season, Paul Ariola is going to be a much higher impact. Dan, when we uh, started talking about the Paul Ariola news, you were none too impressed. You were not what I would say is a uh, quintessential Paul Ariola fan. Uh, has your Has your attitude changed on it at all? Uh, no, because I still haven't seen him play well. Here's, here's the thing. I, I haven't seen him play a whole lot. And when I've seen him play, it hasn't been very well. Uh, I really look forward to being corrected on that. I was looking forward to, to catching a 45 minutes of Paulie Nips tonight, and we were denied <laughs> that in the in the ice bowl. My God, that's the best nickname. Did you make that up, Paulie Nips? <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've seen it in a bunch of places. Okay, it's awesome. Um, yeah, can't wait for the opening day TIFO that's just a giant nipple or something like that. <laughs> uh, it should uh, be like a it should be like a gray it should be a giant TIFO of a Gray's Anatomy illustration of the human breast where it where where it has the line and the perfect font just explaining what the areola is. Yeah, because the Frisco soccer moms will fucking go for that, won't they? <laughs> <laughs> Even they have a sense of humor about nipples. <laughs> Just okay, Karen. <laughs> um, no, I'm looking forward to. This. I mean, like I say, he's uh, he's he's tried and trusted in MLS. Um, not not spectacular numbers, but but numbers that that do the job, and that's that's all you need. You need some stability, particularly when the team is. I mean, we're going from a year where, oh, yeah, the, the defense is sorted, just need to manage this offensive rebuild, and then the whole thing goes to pot. So whatever you can do to kind of just steady the ship, and if it is Ariola over uh, Obreon who goes hot and cold, then doesn't defend unless it's against Houston, great. That's, that's perfect. Can I make an argument that the correct answer is C? Sure, Absolutely. go ahead, make an argument. Well, I just, here's the thing for a club that typically doesn't do much of anything except sign no name players from lands that we many times don't know <laughs> exist. Uh, the fact that they did one went out and, and spent significant money from a, a known entity to get a quality player is pretty unique for these guys, but equally, and maybe even more important is their willingness to go back inside the league and get Areola because of what you said earlier, Buzz, is that he's a guy that can come in and just start doing the business because he doesn't have to acclimate in the same way that Velasca is going to do. And and for the fact that this club has done both of these things in the same transfer window, for me, is one of the biggest indicators that maybe this long-demanded shift in attitude has finally arrived. Yeah, one of the most telling quotes for me from Garrett's piece on the Areola uh, transfer was the Zanata quote where he said something like, we, we wanted to pr prove to everybody that we're big players in the market. We wanted to change the perception of us. I paraphrase that quote. It's not exactly how he said it. But that's the idea. They basically wanted to like make a stink 
you know, and say, don't forget us here. We're going to be players and you guys better deal with the fact that we're about to be players, you know, and I, and the trading for the international spot today, I think is another indication that's happening. Now they're out of DP spots. So, um, pending some crazy shenanigans with salary. So you're probably looking at a younger U22 type player, perhaps like a Shun side of kind of quality, but that's still a nice addition. If you're talking about adding a guy at that level, but they um, could, they could, in theory, still buy down Jesus and Velasco. No, no. no. Well, Velasco, maybe we don't know what he pay, gets paid. Jesus is too expensive. You'd have okay. to drop like one point five million in Gam to do that, which you can't do, even if they would allow you to do it. Um, you can buy down Ariola because his salary. Assuming he'll probably get a new contract of some kind. Last year he was on a million, so it'll be in that same sort of ballpark. So that's only about a four hundred thousand buy down to get him off of a DP list. But when you're talking about Velasco coming in on what is it, when you add it all up, it's a, it's a seven to nine million dollar buy. That dude's going to make a pretty decent chunk of change. You know, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's not going to be under the DP level. I don't think. I mean, it would be really weird for them to pull that off. Um, so it's possible you could buy down both guys, but then you're getting into like some pretty significant spend to do both of them. It's it's not like you when the, the season Dallas had seven DPs, they were all within like 100, maybe 150 over the DP level. Those are a bunch of tiny little buys, not two big chunky buys. So it's just not likely you could. I mean, I'm never going to say no, but it's not likely you could get a DP buy down. It, it, can either one of you tell me if there is a name being floated around for a potential uh, uh, inbound for that new international spot they just bought? Well, not specifically, but over the course of this winter, there's been like 10 different players linked to FC Dallas. You know, only one of them has gotten enough traction to we think it's done, Velasco, but there was been four or five other ones of all various strengths. So, I mean, maybe one of those turned out to be real, or maybe it's somebody we don't know about at all. So, it, Any of them that, like, make you excited uh you know not anymore or any less than what's coming along okay um you know the, the kid uh ferrera went to i think he's the one that ended up in houston for example and then there was the kid um uh johan valencia that was going to be either dallas or portland he was maybe a little bit interesting but um you know i some so many of these foreign players even if it's a name i've heard of it's like until i go dig into some youtube tape and think okay maybe that looks all right and and i really I'm always suspect of believing YouTube highlight videos. It's like, I really want to see them in person before I can really tell you whether I like them or not. You know, that's not, I don't think it's fair. I'd do it off of tape in the first place, but tape, it can be misleading. Are you saying that you can't summarize the highs and lows of somebody's game in four minutes of just <laughs> no. attacking clips? No, because then you wow. get a player like uh, Vargas who stands around for 80 minutes. You know, The correct answer was you get a player like, uh, not Jassy Zardes, uh, Edwin Jassy. Edwin Jassy, Jassy. yeah. Uh, Vargas last year, you know, I... Uh, Sometimes you have to scout on tape. I get it, but theoretically, you want to be having scouts down in these countries. And and if you're talking about spending a lot of money, theoretically, you would have want to go watch them in person yourself, which I entirely believe probably is not a did since you're talking about Argentina. You know, I'm this sure is where we people. this is where we insert the bonus pro tip of uh, scouting by tape does not mean watching somebody's personal YouTube highlight video. Those are two yeah. very very different things. <laughs> well, I know. Well, they should probably get three or four versions of tapes of games and stuff. But I mean, I I don't have access to that. I just have a YouTube video, so it's like I, I always want to wait until I see him in person. Why Scout is really expensive. Why Scout is expensive. Yes, I, maybe maybe someday. 
uh, Buzz, you'll have enough Patreon subscribers that we can <laughs> get access to Y Scout subscriptions. And I mean, it's possible, but I'd rather quit my job first. <laughs> Come on, Patreons. <laughs> Guys, the, the twenty dollars a month subscription only gets you like five minutes of video. We need more. Come on, like eight <laughs> we need like eighty eight thousand or so Patreons. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not holding my breath. Well, you never know, Buzz, if Dallas actually turns into a legit regular contender that uh, people generally like and they start, you know, filling up the stadium week in and week out, maybe maybe dreams can come true, Buzz. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. If you subscribe, I promise to talk louder. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, just to kind of recap, Paul Ariola trade is complete. Alan Velasco apparently is in the middle of getting his medical done in some third country that is not Argentina or the United States. I don't know why he's doing it in Brazil, but here we are. Probably Zanotta probably knows some uh, someone he trusts from Gremio Santos. Okay, fair enough. Or do we have any idea? Is anybody making bets on when the Velasco thing will be finalized? And will they? I mean, we'll really know things are different if they actually have some sort of player introduction press conference. Uh, it, it'll be after they complete the paperwork process, which is, could be any time in the next week or so. Um, none, none of them will show up, by the way, until they get their P1 visa. And that's Martin Pace, the the keeper, Velasco, Nanu. You know, none of these foreign signings are here, and they won't be until they – visa clears um and you know how visas are these days so you know you hope they're going to get here before the season obviously but okay. um you know any prediction about when that might be is a complete crapshoot you really have no idea okay so before we move on to training which buzz went to not once but twice this week anything else uh about the overall stuff about the club we should talk about well, this is kind of a training thing, but they actually have a goalkeeper uh, trialist in camp right now. Um, I know who it is, but they asked me not to say because uh, it's a domestic player, and I think he probably has you know whatever's out there that they don't want to say his name yet. So I thought you were going to say COVID. Yeah, uh, no, 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 no. He's um, you know, it's a it's a player that you know if you're into soccer in this country you 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 might have heard of him you know it's it's uh you're you're talking about a guy that's probably going to it's in probably to be the third keeper so it's you know it's of a zoback kind of quality if you will and it's also, not goalie g goalkeeper yeah no, it's, something it's like Timothy that. K Howard <laughs> well the it's it's not <laughs> important second. it's just to say that you know they are looking at somebody who is in camp right now so you know i've been saying all along they need a third keeper and here's a guy so well, especially with uh, Carrera going off to under twenties. True, true. Yeah, I mean, right now, uh, Maurer's got a bit of a knock, and the new or uh, foreign keeper's not here yet. So they've got this guy, and they've got the college draft pick smear that they picked in camp. Those are the only two healthy goalkeepers. So, um, you know, thankfully he's here. They'd have nobody other than the college pick they made. So, Buzz, you now have uh, attended training uh, a few times since it started last week. You've yeah. uh, talked to Nico a couple of times, uh, and, but I, I do wanted to, I did want to ask you real quick because uh, on the website, Nico Mendez wrote something the other day for you, and you've made some comments on Twitter. I, I'm getting a vibe that people who have been to these sessions over many years are noticing a significant shift. So we, all these other things that we keep talking about noticing change within how Dallas is run as an operation, the actual training and these sessions, these preseason sessions 
uh, have a very different vibe than anything anybody can remember uh, previously. Yeah, you would only notice it if you've been watching training for years. Um, it, it is different. Uh, I even talked to Hedges about it today, and he likes it quite a bit. Um, essentially, there's no lollygagging, if that helps you understand it. You know, in the past, players might meander out of the locker room, and for a good 15 minutes or so, you know, coaches might be setting the cones up. The players would be doing rondos and kind of screwing around a little bit. And then after maybe 15 minutes, they start jogging or whatever. It's not like that anymore. The the lower coaches, if you if, if I can call them that, whether they be trainers or equipment guys or lower assistants that are going to run the drills, they come out 30 minutes before the session is supposed to start, and they start setting up the cones and the flags and all the stuff. And they're now using two fields instead of one. So they use field one and field three now, like full time. And then at the, at the mark of when practice is going to supposed to happen, here comes everybody out and they instantly start stretching and warming up and they hit drills instantly. There's no laughing and giggling and running around and cutting up. That's all gone. And between drills, when the drill ends, everybody catches their breath for 30 seconds and then they jog to the next drill. And if they're flipping fields, they jog to the next field and they go. And so that's the big change is this alacrity, this intensity, this go, 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 go the whole time. And there's no messing about during the whole thing at all. None. It's straight business for an hour and a half, two hours. And that's different. It's never been that way under any other coach. Even coaches that are demanding coaches like Shell Simon was didn't do that. So my I, I get it in terms of the spring training right now, and I get that everybody loves it because it's so business and it's awesome. It's like, great, back to work, let's go. I do wonder, number one, if he will maintain this going forward because I can <laughs> really see how number two, <laughs> midway through July and August, you may be like, screw you, coach. You know what I mean? Because like, it could get tired really quickly if it's not in a spring training mentality. So yes, Especially it's awesome. Especially if they're not getting results. Right. If things are going sour and people are, it's not, you're not winning and people are getting tired and there's burnout happening. I mean, burnout, it's a big thing here. I did talk to him a little bit about heat and burnout here some today. So, you know, uh, that'll be fun to watch from a practice observer perspective. That's how long it does continue like this. I, 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 my gut is that they'll always continue the setting everything up and coming right out and getting to work. But then some of the gaps between sessions might slow down a little bit and some of the pace might slow down a little bit because of the fact that it, it, this job is a grind. I mean, it is a long season, even though it's not quite as long as some of the European ones, it still is a grind. Dan, I was going to ask you the same question if you'd noticed these changes, but it sounds like every time you try to go to practice, they change the schedule on you and they don't tell <laughs> yeah. you. Oh, that, was, that was going to be the second one. Uh, fortunately, the, the opening day of training, I mean, we talked about it last week, how much like Buzz said, using you know skipping between the fields and having everything set up there's no downtime no uh you know no equipment guys running around trying to set up mini goals move big goals i mean when they go between those uh the mini goals and the big goals for the the 11 aside i mean they have to, you know if if you've ever had to move a, a portable goal for like a college field or anything those things take forever so having that all just just set up and ready to go jogging in from one to the next i mean you know, if, if you sat down and kind of figured out how much time the players are actually in motion, and I'm sure they do with those GPS trackers, they're probably, those session times are probably like 15, 20 minutes longer than they, they've been in previous years. 
Buzz, you said you talked to uh, Matt Hedges, who's one of the most senior. Yeah. Is he the most senior player on the team now? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Him, him and Ryan, and then, believe it or not, Paxton and Jesus are the top four in longevity. Holy cow. Okay. Yeah. What did uh, Matty Hedge? That's my new nickname for him. Matty Hedge? Hedge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, number one. It's not quite yeah. Polly Nips, but yeah. it's close. <laughs> the uh, goat is odd to call him. Um, yeah, number one is that, he's, that he says, and I believe him, that he feels great because we talked about – uh, how his hip thing was bothering him all last year. And he said he did a whole bunch of specific targeted rehab this winter to, you know, get really fit and cleared up. And he said he feels fantastic. So uh, he is really optimistic smile on his face when we were talking about that. So that's really I read, nice. I, I read somewhere, somebody reported that as him saying he actually broke his hip. Have you heard that? I, I don't know if it's that specific. I heard that it was worse than they were letting on and that he definitely was in pain like the whole time, but I don't know any details of the medical side. That was John Arnold report. It was broken. Well, there you go. I mean, John Arnold, you can trust. So, um, well, boy, yeah, man, I think that was kind of, I mean, there may have been like a technical technicality to it. Like, like Paxton's hip, right? We talked about that cam impingement and, uh, and, and the technicality behind that. None of us are doctors. So we kind of try and describe it in the best way we can. I'm sorry, Dan. Speak for yourself. I am a doctor. <laughs> of what play exactly? Did you stay at Holiday Express last night? Um, <laughs> so anyway, the the bottom line is uh, for Hedges is that he and I, I believe him. You know, when he talks to me about stuff, he's always been very honest about everything. Uh, that he feels great, which is awesome news. And uh, he looks like he's moving really well. If you've if you've watched training all this spring, I know Dan has for sure. He looks like he's moving really well and really uh, has been on top of the drills and really aggressive and has been one of the best players across the board, which is fantastic to see if you like you know, the defense to be better on this team. And then I talked to him a little bit about uh, the new coach change and the atmosphere and whether he liked it or not. And he does dig it. He, he said he really liked, and he said everyone really is enjoying the, um, the sort of uh, the professionalism of that idea that it's all business and we're here to work and everyone feels really optimistic. And I think probably they're all feeding off the same things we are is this positivity that's coming around with the changes that have happened and the potential signings that are coming in. So, you know, it wasn't a super deep conversation I had with Matt only about three minutes, but I just wanted to sort of gauge the vibe because he's really good at about reading vibes. He's not a vocal guy. You guys know that, but uh, he gets pretty aware of how things are working and pretty aware when it's not working, you know, as I knew from talking to him last year, some, so right now everything's rosy. And so he's really pleased with his, how he feels and how the camp feels. Uh, so you said you spoke to him yep. and it also says here on the run sheet to remind my, to remind me to mention to you that you also now have talked to coach two more times. So now yeah. I'm essentially getting from this that you and Nico are like BFFs. <laughs> That's funny. Did you listen to the burn I did earlier this week about how weird it was that when I talked to him? No, I didn't. Oh yeah. So, uh, I, I made a burn about it cause I was so hit by it. I was watching practice on Tuesday and I got struck with this heavy feeling of deja vu. And I realized that what it was, was I was the only one there and I was sitting on bleachers and it may give me a throwback to the very first time I ever went to practice when I was by myself and there's nobody there. I was sitting on the bleachers and I did not know any coaches. This is the key part. I didn't know any of the coaches and I'm sitting there watching Nico and his new crew. I mean, I know Peter Lucina, I know Keyshawn, but you know, the head guys, I don't know at all. And I thought, man, I'm back to square one on this thing. And then when I went and talked to him, uh, the look on his face was like, wait, who are you? You know, why, why are you here? 
I, I mean, I talked to him at the press conference. You know, I think eventually he figured out that's who I was. But I can tell from talking to him, he has no clue who I am, uh, as if he should necessarily. But that was part of the bit I did on my berm was the idea that since I've developed a relationship with Dave Durr, you know, he got replaced by Jeffries, who had already read all my stuff when he was in Chicago, so he knew who I was. And his his replacement was Colin, who knew who I was because he worked for Mike, and Mara worked for Colin. And then Shellis came in, but already knew who I was because he also had read my stuff, and I covered SMU. And then you can go – and then uh, Oscar I knew because he was a player for 18 years, and Lucci I knew because he was in the academy beforehand. So this, I, I joked, not half-heartedly, but also seriously, that it's the first time in 25 years that I don't know the coach. So like the first conversation with <laughs> him is was like – I, I mean, I, I, I intentionally told him I'm not recording this. I just want to have a conversation. And he looked at me like I had three heads. Like, then why are we even talking? You know, he didn't say that, but I kind of could tell that's the look on his face. And so like – what I had said about it was that the first couple conversations I've had with him now, he's, he does legitimately listen to what I'm asking him, but he's giving me a lot of coachism kind of answers, you know, coach speak answers. It's not giving me real answers yet. And Lack so I have to relationship. Develop, yeah. I have to develop a relationship with him. Well, it's funny that like today, because I went back twice in one week, this time he knew who I recognized me and knew what was going on when I was asking him questions without a recorder. And, the answers were better. It's still not there. He still obviously isn't like completely trusting, but he understands what I'm doing and, and asking about. So it was a step in the right direction, but it's still weird. It's still like, you know, I don't, he doesn't know me at all. It's, you know, it, it, I could be literally anybody and, and he doesn't. And I'm sure that PR people have probably not been really friendly in terms of telling them who I am. I'm hoping maybe some of his coaches might at some point, but um, you know, a tiny baby step better. And at least he didn't, wasn't looking like I was trying to murder him like he did the first time I talked to him. So, uh, we'll see how it goes. It's a work in progress, but, uh, yeah, it was weird. I'll tell you that. So when you watch practice, are you getting any general sense as to what he's trying to implement in terms of tactics, formation, attitude, uh, pace? Yeah. Well, that was the funny thing today. Um, he's, he's, you can for sure see that it's a lot of, Matt confirmed this, it's a lot of basics and, and uh, simple structure ideas that they're working at. It's the first week of preseason, you know, as a new coach, new system. I did think it was funny that I asked him today about one of the drills on one of the outer fields. And I was like, oh, it looked like on this outer field, you were looking, working on press triggers. And he, first his expression was like, oh, you know what a press trigger is? And then he co-explained to me that – what they do is they take the first little drill and they put it into a bigger drill and then they bring it all together on the big field. And I was like, yes, coach, I know how training works. I didn't say that to him, but I wanted to when he coach explained me. So that took like a couple of minutes for him to explain. That's how practice worked. I was like, thank you. I know, I know that. But uh, yeah, there's a, it's definitely four, three, three across the board, but um, with a single pivot, if, if people listening don't know what a single pivot is, that means a single six holding bit of one guy with two, midfielders in front of him rather than two holders and a 10. If, if you need more explanation than that, we'll have to write an article about it, but you two guys know what a single pivot is, but yeah. Um, but then beyond that, what I find fascinating, the two things that are fascinating was uh, the, the fluidity of it, because a lot of what he's working on right now is build out rotations, like how you get forward and watching the differences between his and Lucci's system is really remarkable. And the other is the way that the defense compresses. And I'll talk about those two things separately because they're very different. The offensive going forward, 
there were times last year, remember how we used to talk about how Oscar would let one outside back go, but he always wanted the other ones to stay. But Lucci was like, they can both go. And so you'd get these, you'd get these crosses from Hollingshead to, uh, you know, Reynolds or like across through the box all the way or vice versa. Well, I don't think you're going to get that right now because, uh, when you play 4-3-3, the two outside backs, they go forward, but they make sort of a line with the defensive mid, and also the two eights are sort of sitting there. And then you, of those people, you want various of them to take turns moving into spaces. So you're going to see, I think, what I'm seeing so far. You're going to see less of this flying explosive outside back and a little more of a balance in terms of defensive coverage and not exposing the defense completely, which I think is a positive when you get as many goals as they had last year. So hopefully I explained that well enough that you can understand what I mean. And then the defensive one that was interesting was that when they, today what they were working on were these press triggers and a block shape, a mid block, which is going to be from when I talked to him, he actually was willing to talk about what their base defenses are going to look like this year. And I'm expecting a lot of sort of mid block look from them, but specifically I was fascinated because it looks like a 4-4-2. One of the eights drops in next to the six, and you get with the two wings, you get a flat four in front of a flat four. And then the other eight pops up high. And so literally this mid-block was a 4-4-2. And uh, that's what triggered the conversation about how he explained how practice works. Was I was like, I said, you're throwing me off with this double pivot when you were doing the press triggers. And he says, oh, yeah, you know, it's it's going to be this mid-block 4-4-2 kind of shape with one dropping in. So um, some very different fluidity than what Lucci has. But th- those are the very simplistic early versions of rotations where these outside backs are not going to be flying forward. And when they do compress back, it'll actually look more like a 4-4-2 when it compresses, which is a really strange alteration. You don't you often see that version. So... To me, that's really fascinating, and we'll see how it evolves over the course of spring training, of course, and then into the season. Hey, Dan, did you get all that? Yeah, I was going to say, that is kind of jarringly different to Lucci's compression into that, with the six drop in between the centre-backs to be like that kind of hybrid 5-3-2. Well, yeah, I guess it would be 5-3-2 at that point. Uh no, I mean, I think actually that would that would actually be like a great uh, article with visuals. So we should probably go ahead and do that. Yeah, I, I think over the next you know week or two, as I if I see a little more and get a better idea for exactly what he's doing, I probably will try and do that. Um, but you know, it, the overall takeaways early are um, not abandoning defensive uh, responsibilities as you go forward. You know that there are options to exploit space, and the other key word that he dropped when I was talking to him was was when I was I was talking about um, there are no forwards in practice right now. Uh, Frank O'Hara has a knock, and so he's missing, and Jesus is with the national team. So there's no nines. And I said, does it bother you not having a nines? And the, he said, no, in this, in our system, the nine's going to be a building player. Right. Well, so that means – go ahead. I was going to say, this is kind of like that time of year that you, you focus on your, your build-out and your defense anyway, and finishing is just kind of the, well, let's get actually into games where they can really – have effective yeah. uh, finishing practice. Well, the, the key to the idea that the nine is a builder is the false nine idea that Jesus is, which is the idea that he'll be coming back towards midfield and he'll be part of this build out going forward. And then the exploitations of wings behind him into the gap is going to be huge. And that's yeah. where your aerials come in and your Velasco's and, and your various attacking wings that you have. And that's the exploitation of space 
with with potentially eights busting forward in your De Bruyne style. No one's here as a De Bruyne. I'm not saying that. Relax. Just in that style. You know, that's kind of what you're looking at. Um, you know, the way the way the national team did tonight with Jesus checking in and trying to build and Pulisic and way more so Pulisic was almost doing a false nine bit, which was weird, but trying to exploit that gap going past Jesus into the spaces. It'd be kind of interesting uh, the times that Jesus isn't on the field uh, when they have Hara because Hara is, is definitely a check back kind of drop out wide kind of player, but he just hasn't got the legs to get him up, up and up to the end line anymore. So whether that's, you know, Paxton or the other eight kind of busting forward and replacing him or Ariola and Velasco cut, cutting inside, which they're both capable of, that would, uh, it'd be interesting to kind of see like how that, that shape changes to, to cope for, for yeah. him versus Jesus. It almost becomes like a second pivot point in the formation. Um, you know, because there's no strikers, they've been using midfielders that are way down the pecking order in that position, like Benny Redzic has, has played there. Nicky Hernandez has played there in that nine position. And Nicky's got the body for it, which is weird. But, you know, so those are the kinds of guys that you might see fill into that role in the worst-case scenarios. Khalil's played there a little bit. He's got a little more of the, of the right kind of body for it too. But some of the things to keep in mind, like way down the charts or if if guys are getting hurt and all of a sudden you're missing a dude. Like Franco's been out all week. Uh, you know, he's day-to-day, but he's been missing all week, so. Man, I'm uh, I'm I'm really to be determined on this whole idea of this particular formation. I just typically feel like teams that try to play false nines in that type of attack, the only ones that are very good at it are the best teams in the world. Like I can't yeah. think of a lot of B C grade global club teams that are any good with a false nine. And I and I and I'm wondering, I can't even. Is there even another MLS team that regularly plays a false nine? Is there main tactic i mean I, I can't think of one on the top of my head but you're right if you have Messi and zavi you know working off that <laughs> false nine it works a lot better you know i i don't know anyone else that uses it and, and maybe that's the key to the velasco and areola signings is maybe that's an elevation of talent that allows them to do this but it, it i mean it's exciting to hear and it sounds very modern and and cool but you got to see it actually work in practice and so um it's very spanish it's really it is yeah yeah, yeah. So. that's a good way of saying it, it is very yeah. spanish hmm. yeah Yikes. i mean you can look at those great spain and great barcelona teams is why people got inspired to play this way because that's what they did when they had david via you know for example is there is there nine you know or torres who like to check way back to you know um whether there's there's often been coaches here that have these great ambitions to play a certain way until they realize the talent level that's actually available in major league soccer and you can't do it so it will be interesting to see if he can do it or not. That's going to be one of the big questions this season. In relation to the Areola trade news, Sam, the soccer fan one, wrote a funny line that was my favorite. Paxton at center mid is my favorite part of this trade. I agree. It is my favorite part of this trade because for me, the 2022 season is only about uh, the season of Paxton Pomacall. Uh, Buzz, I'm hoping that so far in the sessions you've been to, you have nothing but just stellar things to report back on our boy Pax. Well, the most important part for you, I think, is that he's played every single second as an eight. He's played nowhere yes. but there. Yes. Yeah. Now, I'm last year bumping. he would split some time in training, but this year it's 100% as an eight. The coach said he's an eight, and, and Paxton even had some quotes the other day that you know where the coach has told him that his job is to dictate pace both offensively and de defensively. 
and this is actually really important because you and I both know that Paxton's biggest detriment to staying healthy is the way he abuses his body. And we've talked about Paxton needing to develop wisdom of when to go and when not to go. And that's what the coach is talking about. The big lesson for Paxton is that he's going to have to learn how to dictate the game and control the game. And one of the discussions I had with the coach uh, so far about heat here was they, they as a collective team need to learn how to control the pace of the game, how to uh, not expend maximum effort all the time, maybe not press quite so much, but do it when they need to and do it when the triggers are there and the opportunities are there. And so that's going to be an important lesson for Paxton, particularly because right now he's the guy. I mean, Brandon Spain is in there too, but Paxton, you know, compared to Brandon, Paxton's going to be the key figure in midfield pending some other crazy thing happening. So you're correct that this is the season of Paxton. If he doesn't come through this season healthy and, and demonstrating his ability, it might be a, a while before people give him a chance again. Yeah, I, I mean, I would. I think in the reality, it's the season of Jesus because of the DP deal and the money that's on the table and, and what is really going on with him. But this is the season that really makes or breaks well, let me put it this way. That's not a fair thing. It, it This is the season that will dictate the rest of Paxton's career because if he gets injured again or doesn't find his form, the odds of him finding that big deal to go to Europe really start to uh, fall apart. Whereas if he comes back to the kid that we all know and love and have hoped for forever, you could certainly see his career taking off from there. Yeah, if, if he gets back to an all-star level uh, or more and more importantly can prove that he can get through a season healthy, That'll really help him in terms of both his future here, you know, and being maybe at some point a DP like Jesus is, or if he wants to go, if it's time to go, you know, that's, that's the other alternative. And he's got to, cause there's a big difference between 22 and 25, you know? Well, right. Yeah, but think about this, guys. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Paxton was the next big thing. He was the kid that was about, he was the kid that was going to get sold for a whole lot of money. And in the meantime, uh, Chris Richards has been sold. Reggie's been sold. Brian Reynolds has been sold. Pepe's been sold. Tanner Tessman's been sold. And a whole lot of players that were way behind him in that kind of proverbial pecking order have all bypassed him at this point, all because of that pesky, crappy injury situation. And that's where I think if you're Paxton, you're, th- you're seeing what's happened over the course of the last two seasons, and I, I hope he's pushing all his chips in on himself uh, and-, and turns in those performances that we've all been waiting for. I mean, I do too, but I- I'll be honest, I never thought Paxton was going to get sold for a lot of money. Really? I've never, I've never believed that. You know, it comes back to this idea that um, European teams have 5,000 kids that are five, six and can dribble. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. they don't they don't have guys that are six, three track stars. Brian Reynolds is worth nine million dollars. Paxton's worth a million five to me. You know, I love the kid. I think he's a phenomenal player and it's his heart that makes him so great. But that's what gets him in trouble physically is that heart. Not like Bobby Ryan, but like Bobby Ryan in some ways, is that he'll run through a wall. So I, I don't, I've never felt, I always thought it was out of line when people were like, oh, Paxton's going to sell for all this money. I was like, I don't think so. I mean, I love the kid. I, I think he's a, a baller, but I just don't see the value monetarily there. Well, I would certainly be one happy FC Dallas fan if he turned into a lifelong player for this team. I mean, that would, that would be, that would just, that would make me. 
delightfully happy. Especially if it's a healthy one, because then he you'd have a you'd have a top tier MLS ten player for the rest of his career. It'd be amazing. Yeah. Healthy and a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. And just stay yeah. with the team. That would yep. I'd be perfectly fine with that. No any players you guys are worried about? Anybody you want to hear about? Well, I think we uh, nobody in Oh, you know, actually there is one more player because I've heard nothing about it. And I think it's so critical because this is where I'm start this is the whole this is why I'm mad about the Justin Che thing because now I'm reading that Justin Che may be in in line to get first team time at at uh Hoffenheim like, well then why wasn't he getting first team time at FC Dallas, which would then dare me to ask you, how's Martinez doing so far this season? Uh, Martinez. Martinez. Uh, yeah, good. Well, that that's a funny thing. Um, this week, the whole time I was there, Hedges and Martinez were paired together, like 100%, like locked in. Like I would be like, that's the starting pair, except that we're a month out. And um, it was so blatantly obvious that it was those two guys all the way that I actually asked Coach about it. And he said, yes, that's true that they were paired together this whole week intentionally, but um, it's actually part of, again, the process. He didn't use the word process, but I did. Um, they want to have, over the next few weeks or whatever, they're basically going to work like all the possible starting pairs of center backs together for like long stretches at a time because they want to have – when they get to the season and, and they're picking who's going to be starting, they want to have those guys be comfortable with each other and no matter what set of pairings they do. So um, Mar- Martinez looks pretty solid. He does not look hampered by his injury like he was for part of last year. He is the only lefty center back they have. Bartlett uh, is not a lefty. He plays on the right, although they have used him in training on the That's left. That's the draftee. That's the draftee who we're, we're pretty sure is actually already signed because of his because of what it says on the – team's roster on the website which is funny and he's um, somebody's grandfather as well uh yes yeah <laughs> he's old enough to be somebody's grandfather um but he's a true that kid's a phenomenal athlete fast big quick uh strong you know he's got a lot of exciting things about him other than the fact that he's 25 um so right now martinez is getting a lot of rotations at the left center back and then they're trying other people in that spot a little bit to fill in so I mean, he looks as good as he looked last year at the beginning. You know, the question is going to be what's the best pairing. I, I don't know that him and Hedges is the best pairing. You know, Nokosi's recovery space is p- pace is pretty hard to replicate. You know, the the new guy might have it too, but he doesn't. He's not going to be ready to start an MLS. You know, he's got to learn some stuff. So we'll see how it progresses over the next month. Um, you know, for a minute this week, I thought, oh, man, Nikosi's getting – I thought I thought for a while that um, – while I was watching that perhaps um, Estevez was doing what a lot of coaches do, which is revert to old and experienced when they're unsure, you know, and just be like assume that the old two old guys are the ones to go with and that Nikosi was going to be back to having to prove himself again. But then after I talked to him – and he told me that they're working through a rotation of all the center backs that could be starters working together. Then I thought, oh, that's a really smart idea. So um, no panic yet on whether whatever the center back pairing is going to be. All right. It still makes me nuts when it comes to the whole Justin Chase story, but I guess that's going to ultimately come down to that's just what Justin wanted to do. Well, you know, the the German coach is going to say that, you know, and he did start 12 games or something here this last year. So, I mean, he was getting but first But not as a minutes. center back. No, but that's one of the things that if you read the article about Justin getting that first team time, he then says that he can play anywhere on the back line. He can play right, left, or center. So, I mean, it wasn't quite like we're going to start him at 10 games at center back or something right. like that. You know, it's like he's just not going to be on the reserve team. He's going to be on the bench on the first team. 
I'm trying to think about, uh, Dan, you got any other players that we want to talk about from training that we should uh, take some time to chat about? Well, I have uh, one while you guys are waiting that I want to talk about because okay. I can't believe it. Um, you, D- Dan, you'll know, but Peter, do you know who Jabron Rayo is? I know the name, but I don't know him. Yeah, uh, he's an ex-academy kid. He went to North Texas. Uh, he was one of their signings for three seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been a pretty consistent top performer for them. And last year, I thought over the course of the season, I thought he was their best player, you know, full season, arguable MVP. They, they did not pick up his option because he's been there for, uh, I want to say, three years now, actually. But he was the one guy I thought was worthy of a first-team invite, and he got it. They, he's on the preseason training camp roster, and I thought, here we go. Here's a chance for a kid to actually be the guy that's going to sign for North Texas, prove himself, and get the job, get that North, the SC Dallas job. He didn't show up. He chose not to come to camp after they invited him. He's just sitting at home, as far as I know. Nobody has any idea where he's, what his plans are or what he's going to do. He just was like, nah, I'm done. Really? Yeah. So I don't, I don't understand – Maybe maybe that that's maybe that's not fair to him. Maybe something's going on that I don't know about. But as far as I know, he's healthy. He for sure got the invite because when they put out the roster, he's on it. And he's when I asked today, I was like, "Where is he?" They were like, "Chose not to come. Not here. Just decided not to do it." And I suppose maybe there's a level he maybe got frustrated by the lack of you know promises or something, or like he felt he had earned a spot, not not have to try out kind of spot. Maybe that's it. But, you know, another guy, Eminel Almaguer from the North Texas, who is a player I quite like, but I don't think is necessarily MLS level. Well, he's out at LAFC trying out for them, whether it's for them or for or their second team, I don't know. But he's at least rolling the dice and taking a shot and got a first team camp invite, you know, and, and went after it, you know. So, and I, I love that kid. And I don't know why you would like to be a North Texas kid who had done the business and proven it was time for your shot and then pass it up. So I don't. I don't know what's going on there, and I, I hope the kid does something because he's a really good player. I'd love for him to at least be what position he's does at he least, play? He's a he's like Paxton actually. He can play wing. He can play ten. I've even seen him play as a nine in a pinch. You know, he's an attacking, exciting, creative player. And now he's not as the sum of his parts are less than the parts. He's got bags and bags of talent and hasn't always been productive. But he's more than good enough to play in the USL Championship. And as far as I know, he's doing nothing. And I, I think that's a bummer. I, I thought the kid had a shot. You know, uh, football could be kind of funny. I've, I've seen guys who could, you know, happily play semi-pro and pick up beer money. And they've been like, nope, I'm not going full pro at top level. I'm just going to give up everything, not play recreationally, nothing. Um, you know, you also get people who are like, no, nah, I'm going to, if, if your prospects look bad, I'm going to pick up a job. And then it just gets unfortunate. You can't get that time to go to camp and, and things like that and, and try and earn, uh, earn your way kind of back into the, to the pro game. It's uh, opportunities below like the very top level could be so, so, so affected by, by outside things. I, I've always wondered if there wasn't a need you know, we have so much content these days from a variety of sources, video, written, audio, or otherwise. But I have always wondered if somebody could ever put together a series of reports about the the forgotten phenom or the 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 the, the phenom that didn't make it or whatever. Um, we all know in our lives or have come across in our lives 
whatever the sport is, somebody that is out playing on a on a rec court or uh, you know Moss Park Field or whatever that is an absolute baller, basketball, football, flag football, soccer, whatever it is, and you're like. How in the world are you this good and not playing at a higher level? And you and you and you don't know the person well enough to dig in and find out. But you just, I think about this guy. I'll tell a story real quick. You know, all these years I was playing over. I used to go play every you know once or twice a night at Inwood Soccer Center over in Addison. There's so many people listening to this podcast that have done it too. There was this guy that used to show up. Is uh, uh, is I can't remember his name. He went by initials massive, perfectly sculpted human being. I mean, unbelievable body shape, unbelievable ball control, and he would just gym rat. He would just pick up with teams. They Everybody would pay for his, his, you know, his fee to get him on his team. Clearly the best player. And for whatever reason, the guy just didn't have the mentality to have become a pro. I've heard so many stories about he was given every opportunity to come try out with the burn or the sidekicks or whatever or go someplace else and play. He clearly had the physical tools and the skills to do it, but mentally it just... It didn't work out the way he wanted it to, and he never did, so he just seemed happy all those years playing at Inwood Soccer Center, and it was the weirdest thing ever. And we all know that, and I do wonder if there wouldn't be a really kick-ass podcast series of people interviewing those people, asking them, what happened? Like, why did you not take that opportunity, and all these years later, do you regret it, or do you think you did the, made the right choice? Yeah, there's probably a bunch of guys in the history of this club and in this town that are like that. I mean, Brian Leva jumps to mind for me. Yeah. First ever homegrown in this club. And it was, I don't know what, why it didn't work. You know, he was the one that got to play train with Mexico, Mexico when he was 11 or whatever, you know, it's in. Oh, do you remember when that kid used to go come walk into the stadium and people would like, it was like watching the seas part. Oh, it's Brian Leva. He's yeah. trained with the Mexican national team. He's the next big thing. And then he just never heard from him again. Yeah. I mean, he played for FC Dallas, but you know, a handful of times, but it just didn't work out. You know, it was a shells era. So maybe that has something to do with it, I suppose. But he was also a wee tiny lad too. Tiny, yeah. I mean, they claim he's five six. I don't know if he was five six. <laughs> <laughs> he and Paxton, Paxton are hanging out. Yeah, yeah, no, Paxton towered over that kid. But yeah. uh, I mean, Dan, I assume uh, coming from a place like you do in England, you probably know hundreds of these guys. Yeah, too many. Um, I mean, that was a funny when I, you know, I worked in semi-pro football and. You would see the guys who would who they absolutely should be a Premier League or, or Championship footballer, given five day or six days a week training, but they just haven't got the opportunity, or they, you know, or when they were a teenager, girls came up, partying came up, an awkward growth spurt that made them just put them off the game, or they were the tall kid and just got put at the back as a six-year-old and then everyone else just got way taller when really they, you know, if they'd have grown up in somewhere like Spain or the United States, for example, they would have been that guy. It's like, okay, we'll try in midfield. You've got, you know, you've got the ball control for it. Well, if you want to think of a, a positive example of where that might not have happened is this kid that's actually with North Texas right now, Bernard, Bernard Camungo, who's the kid from, is it like a Midland Odessa area, Dan? Yeah, I don't remember that's exactly. Right. Where yeah, it's that- like, or Quill was literally angry and yelling at people that like, why has this kid never been coached before? How in the world does somebody out here not spot him and get him on at least like a select team? And he was just playing for his high school. He's out there in first team camp right now. And you can barely tell that he's not a first team trialist 
You know, really? it's a couple of the decision makings are wrong, but like the talent is absolutely on that level. It's just he's had zero training until this last year, has a ways to go. But it's like the kid is legit stud level MLS talent if they can just coach him up enough. And, you know, thankfully they got him when he was 18, so they there is time, but, uh, you know, hopefully not a kid that the kid that got caught and actually is going to be helped out. Hmm. Sorry, Buzz. I didn't mean to bog your, uh, your FC Dallas no, podcast good. down into that, <laughs> that I just, <laughs> you mentioned that and it made me think of that guy and, and how, uh, I think that would just be a fascinating set of stories to hear someday. Well, who else do y'all want to hear about from training? Anybody? Um, I would say, uh, well, I, you know, I, Velasco's not here. I asked about Paxton. How is um, Cervania holding up these days since he's going to be a critical? Well, actually, I'm just going to ask Cervania and Fagundo. How, how are those three playing together since that looks to be the center kind of heart of the team? Yeah, let me tell you that you're wrong about that about well, Facundo okay. being with Cervania and Paxton as the heart of the team. Because I don't know that Facundo is going to be the heart of the team with those two other guys. It's going to be Cerio? So far, I mean, we're only two weeks into camp. But so far, every single rotational drill, Edwin Cerio has been with that group, that Brandon Cervania, Paxton Pomichol group. And believe me, like there is nobody behind Paxton and there's nobody behind Cervania. I mean, you got to go down to Blaine Ferry, who's playing great. And the other weird person they've been using at an eight is this kid, uh, Siki, they've drafted from Oregon, who I thought was a wing, but apparently they they like him as an eight. So it literally is Paxton and Cervania and nobody else. And Edwin Cerillo, if Facundo has been in the second group rotation for two weeks now. Did you notice at the opening day they switched uh, Sylvania and Emma around for a minute and had Sylvania right back uh, to Marcy Center mid? I missed that, but they're definitely trying lots of different guys in lots of different positions right now, that's for sure. Particularly, like, um, they're they're trying some of the young defenders. They're trying in various spots to see if they can provide something other than just center back, you know, in terms of looking at depth and things like that they've been trying eddie at different spots you you can see them working through the bottom of the rotation players to see what can you give me to make it worth you to keep you on the team you know some of that kind of thing's happening um you know to, to this week it's been a little more solidified with the the back line what you would expect you know sort of grouping um so but that that one was noticeable to me that Facundo has not been in the first team group very much. Uh, how how did uh, how did Faku look? Because that opening day he was a lot more trim than he was last year. He was very lively, even though, like you say, he was in that second group. Uh, he just kind of looked like a guy who was trying to earn his place in a team he wasn't a starter in. Yeah, he does look trimmer for sure. I definitely would agree with that. Um, I, I know what you mean about that first day. Some of that is still there. There's a tiny bit, li- little bit of it less, but not significantly so because now it's a week later and he still is not getting that shot. It's still Edwin all the time. Um, you know, I, the, the big thing is there's a lot of money right there if that guy's not starting. Uh, so that, you know, but you can say the same thing with um, Frank O'Hara. So, Cause you I know, remember, I, uh, I remember Steve Davis was joking, you know, who's going to be the first week guy? Who's going to be the this year's uh, Mascara or uh, or Freddie Vargas that just doesn't pan out through the season. It was kind of like, fuck, it's looking really lively. Is this going <laughs> to hold up? Yeah, yeah. Well, 
you know, there's something to be said about this idea that I, I have to assume these guys that are new to this team, and, and by these guys I mean the coaching staff, that are uh, have a deep attraction to the idea of marrying three center midfielders that have literally been playing with each other since they were 12, 13, 14 years old. The value in being able to play with guys that you've played with for so long on a field, it probably just is, uh, that's just gold to a coach, you'd think. Yeah, and, and if you go back to this, I hate to do this, if you go back to the it's a process thing, right? You're yeah, talking about there yet, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're talking about right now, you're talking about a midfield that's got Paxton and Sylvania and not much else in it, and then probably it looks like Edwin because you pick the 20, 20 21-year-old kid versus Faco, who's 28. Faco's not going to get any better. If you're gonna go, if it's if it is a process, I'd rather play, and maybe this is what they're thinking. I'd rather go ahead and play Cerrillo with those other two guys for a whole season, because then a year from now I'm in a really great spot. Because I think Edwin's within a season or two, Edwin should be ready to be like a legit full time MLS starter. Well, if it is a process and you're already gonna go with two other twenty year olds, why not go ahead and go with him and let those guys play in together? Because over the course of the back of last season, and I'm sure the coach has the tape. You know, I thought Edwin was just as good as Faco pretty much across the board, in which case might as well play the kid, particularly because when every time we've said, here's the deficiency in Edwin's game, he fixed this, what's next? He fixes the next thing. And so every time there's been this little progression in his game and he keeps getting better and better. So, um, you know, it's to be watched over the next month as we get closer to the season. You know, I always thought that six was a place that you could actually go get somebody, but, you know, I it's probably more likely going to be an eight, but... Um, it will not shock me at all if a month from now Edwin Cerillo is your opening day starter at six and doesn't hold it down for most of the year. We made a joke about it last week um, a lot, which was this repeated use of the phrase, it's a process, and it continued into this week as well. And and I really would encourage the media team and to uh, try to get them to come on because it's like, somebody over there has to realize that that phrase doesn't play well in the Dallas Fort Worth area after all those years of Jason (laughs) Garrett. And, and at the same time, it also is ridiculous. A process of what you were a non playoff team last year. (laughs) Like what, what do you think everybody's expectations are and why are you telling everybody to slow down and pull the reins? You're just to make the playoffs. Shouldn't I'm not even sure people are expecting you to make the playoffs at this point. Uh, people are definitely not expecting that. Um, if, you, if you listen to the national media, most of them think Dallas is, even with all the changes they've gone through, are still outside the playoffs looking in. Uh, I don't. We'll get to that later in the spring. But, you know, um, I think this coach is more paying attention to other parts of the organization than previous coaches have. I'm getting the sense that he cares about things around the first team, even if they're not soccer specific. Does that make sense? He's much more concerned with the atmosphere, not maybe atmosphere is the wrong word, the environment of training, mm-hmm. like who's there. Um, I was told flat out that uh, he doesn't like to be ambushed or surprised by somebody being there. Um, you know, and I think I'm I'm left with the impression that they're that the social media and the and the the PR type people are still feeling their way out with the coach and trying to get on board with his messaging. And so his messaging has been, 
this slow down, tap the brakes, don't get overhyped idea. We got a lot of work to do idea. And so I think that's why they're running with some of that same messaging. I also think that the people that are involved with that stuff get the Jason Garrett, it's a process problem and are trying to find other ways to express that. You know, it, they, they backed off on that some from the first, <laughs> probably after we made fun of it so much, but um, you know, I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. It's, it, you know, the, those people around him, around the new coach are feeling the situation out and learning as much as uh, anybody. And that includes assistant coaches. Like those guys, I can tell they're trying to feel out their roles. You know, Lucci had these defined roles where Peter Lucine was the defensive guy and Mikey Veris was the offensive guy. That seems to not be there right now. So people are trying to figure out what their responsibilities are. And um, it'll be worth watching if you're into the minutia like I am. You know, Buzz, uh, I'm glad you made the comment earlier today about your observation about realizing that you were starting from scratch because it's given me an opportunity to realize and see this from a different perspective, which is this really is, if you think about it, the very first time since the shift from Durr to Mike Jeffries that the next iteration of whoever's running this team isn't from the family. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it literally goes that far back because after Jeffries, it was Morrow. After Morrow, it was Colin or whatever that sequence is. I guess you could say the Shellis one would be the next one because Shellis wasn't part of that uh, previous team, but Shellis was such a huge part of the Dallas soccer scene and with the Hunts. Oh, well, yeah, family friend for 20-plus years. Clark yeah. played for him, you know, yeah. Yeah. And so you see where I'm going with that. This is yeah. why this is fundamentally different. So, cool. and Shell's even retained several coaches, you know, from this is the first time, like they've kept two coaches with the first team, um, uh, Peter Lucine and uh, Drew Keyshawn. But other than that, like a, all a bunch, all the trainers seem to have changed. Half the strength and conditioning people have changed. There's even a couple of new equipment guys out there. You know, um, there's a different, there's one or two different sort of PR type people that are different than I'm used to seeing out there. Um, you know, up and down the, the dial, there's a freshness going on. Oh, by the way, let me come back to the North Texas coach in a minute. That guy's new. Yeah, we haven't even talked about that yet. Oh, man. Yeah, I got something to say about him. Um, so, yeah, there's there's definitely – and a lot of people are waiting a little bit and trying to – I can even see it in, like, the PR people that they're trying to be on their P's and Q's and they're trying to feel out what's going on. There's a new big dog. You know, no one knows exactly how to take him yet. So we're all learning as we go forward. It it is, and what I would just uh, what I would love to I would love for them to realize that there's no reason to tell everybody to be patient and to, and this is a process. We all get it's a process. The team was so bad last year; uh, expectations are low. So that would that's my urging of them is to quit harping on that because it's <laughs> just going to annoy everybody to death. And yeah. I and I feel kind of bad that it's gone this far into this episode before we got to this because it is one of it, it it is in many ways an equally important piece of news that we got last week or within the last seven days, which is that we now in fact it happened the day after the we uh, released the podcast because we asked this question do we even know who the next coach at North Texas is going to be? And you were like yeah they know who it is they just haven't announced it yet well we now know who it is and man it is a fantastic signing um and uh buzz i'll let you tell everybody who it is yeah pamaduka uh he's a former professional player and the last he's been doing was working up in the canadian league but he's he's moved himself around various organizations and gotten different jobs in order to broaden his resume and what i wanted to say about him um first was that a lot of people talk about his 
uh, history of developing players and progressing players and how the North Texas gig was basically a perfect gig for him. But what I wanted to say about him is that he has made on me the number one best first impression of a coach in the history of my going to training. Like a single day knocked me off my feet, like love affair with this guy as a coach, just phenomenal. I just, I've never been so impressed with a guy like walking in the door. It's unbelievable. What was it about him? Like what, what about it? Well, he has uh, a presence. It's hard to describe. Some people are bigger than life. Do you know what I mean? They, oh, yeah. they like nuke Lelouch, that kind of like everyone turns and looks at him when they walk in. He's got that going for him. Uh, he has got an infectious energy about him. Um, uh, an affectious way with the players definitely seems to know his tactical stuff on an individual and as a team concept. Like today they were working team defensive shape, like the back four, like working together as a group. He knew what he was talking about. He was working with guys on their gaps and their spacing and other little rotations. So the technical side was there. Uh, and on top of that, it was just, it was upbeat and energetic and uh, boisterous um, honestly, I just, it's, it's the strongest, like, oh my God, this dude is fantastic. Like I've ever had as a coach now in a month from now, well, I think he sinks. I have no idea. I'm just saying that like, I've never had a coach be that impressive day one that he knows what he's doing. He knows why he's here. He knows what his job is and he's going to do it. Be damned. And, uh, I just, I just loved it. I can't wait to see what he does with, North Texas and with the developing of the Academy players coming through because I, I loved every minute of it. And it's been one, it's been two sessions. I've watched him now and I, I love it already. Yeah. Uh, the day they announced him and I don't know if it was North Texas that tweeted it or it just showed up in the timeline because of all the news, there was a video of him and I don't know what's going on in the video. Like I, I didn't have the audio up, but it's just a video of him. Um, he's in his car or something, and I guess he yeah. gets an award or something. And he gets out of the car and he starts dancing, and it is the most infectious, lovable, instantly lovable. I, like I don't know, I don't even know who this dude is, but I was like, I gotta meet this guy. This guy looks super fun and a really cool dude. And then I find out he's fluent in seven different languages, one of which I've never even heard of before. Yeah, that, he won the Canadian Championship and Coach of the Year, and that I think that's the championship trophy that he has in his hand. But that little video, he's like that all the it, time. Is he really? Yeah, that's him. That's his personality. Wow. And you can see it across the field, and you can just watch that little video. And if you fans haven't out there listening, haven't seen it, go look it up because that's what they've got is that guy. You know, and and if you're talking about a team that's getting into the dull days of the summer around here, getting blasted, you know, and and you got or you got a young guys that are not feeling like I'm not seeing my progress or I'm not getting my chances, I'm getting discouraged, or a guy coming down from the first team is like I don't want to be here. This is the perfect guy to have because that he's like that all session long, that same mentality in that video, and it's just I just love the guy already, and he just got here. Uh, Soccer Dan, dork. Sorry. <laughs> no. I look. I, I. If you. If you haven't seen the video, Buzz, please retweet it so people can watch it. Um. And you'll instantly understand what Buzz is talking about. Dan, since you're uh, a resident of the world and not a stupid American like me, what is Wol Wol Wolof? 
W-O-L-O-F. What language is that? Do you know? Uh, let's let's see what Google says. I mean, I know it's like a, an African dialect. Ah, okay, all right. Because it's yeah. one of the it's one of the many listed in the list of th- uh, languages he speaks. I could barely speak my one native tongue, and I almost <laughs> didn't get out of college because I could barely pass Spanish. I think I had to cheat to get through it in the first. I probably shouldn't say that out loud. But uh, I anybody that can speak that many languages is uh, clearly a smart cookie. He's uh, he's from the Gambia, and that's uh, what they speak in in Gambia and in Senegal. All right, thank you. See, I learned something but, today uh, on the podcast. Did you know he's also the nephew of uh, Jimun? Is it Hounsu Hounsu, the actor? No, I did not I know, know that. Uh, he was in Gladiator, Armistad. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I believe. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Pod Muka. English, pa, Norwegian, Dutch, pa Muduka. Pa French, Muduka. Arabic, Swedish, and Spanish. So oh, is, is Pa Mudu his first name? Yeah. Or yeah. is it just Pa and Mudu is his second, his like middle name? No, the dash it's is between Pa like and Mudu. Double Pa oh, All right. You can so, call him Pa Ka or Pa Mudu. That's such a cool name. I got stuck with Peter. He got Pa Mudu. <laughs> yeah, you also I mean, don't I just, dance, dance like that. Yeah. I just love the I just love the resume as well. Like I mean, a guy who's played on, I mean, he's played on three different continents in club football. He's he's played national team with Norway. He's been involved in development with uh, with uh, the White Cap second team. He's he's been an MLS scout, an MLS assistant. He's he's a winner in the Canadian league, which I mean is did you USL say pl- one equivalent. did you say he played for the uh, can, uh, the Norwegian national team? Yeah. I'll have to ask Lars about him. Uh, Lars, I bet, knows who he is. I'll have to ask his his insight. Interesting. Okay. Well, congratulations to Pod Muduka. I'll get it right eventually. Pod Muduka. <laughs> you remember he was one of the people that interviewed for the FC Dallas job. So he was at least... Oh, did he really? Uh, we, yeah, and it was they publicized that somewhere. So he was at least one of the last four or five people that was up for it. You know, And they, yeah, the, that's when they were I like, you know what? You want to have the North Texas job? And he was like, yes. So Yes. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? Because that lines him up for whenever Nico does whatever he does, that lines Palmer de Car up to be next FC Dallas manager. Man, I hope he turns out to be uh, as kick-ass as we've hyped him up to be. Oh, man, me too, because I love him already. All right. I mean, he's Are played you... for two out of three Cascadia teams, and both of them <laughs> love him. That that says something about his personality. I, I don't know if I've ever heard Buzz so excited about anything ever in my life. Oh, man, but... yeah. It blew me that's away, a, man. That's amazing. He took him for lunch and dinner. I'll tell you, the last time I was this excited was when I saw Chris Kappas play for the first time. Oh, wow. Okay, quite a compliment. That's high yeah. up the high up the scale. There. And he's just a coach. I know. I know. Just. Hey, speaking of uh, unusual things coming out of the front office, did anybody uh, see the unusual decision to buy a full-page ad in the Dallas Morning News to promote the signing of Paul Areola to the team? Uh, I'm trying to stick with the idea that there it's an increased media spend, and I'm excited about that conceptually because I don't get excited about newspaper buys anymore. Yeah, I, I, look, I appreciate the uh, – well, as a former employee of the Dallas Morning News – I, I know what those rates used to be, at least. Maybe they're fractional today as compared to what they were five or six years ago. But that's not a cheap buy. But I don't understand 
why you would spend that in that space just because the the average audience of that newspaper that actually physically get the paper is way outside the demographic of this team. It like makes no sense to me. Yeah, I I, I do worry often that the people that are in charge, and this is not just an FC Dallas problem, the people that are in charge of marketing and advertising and sales are older traditional media type people and we live in a new media world now. Okay. So I well that well that takes yeah. me to the that takes me to the fact that we talked about last week that they did hire a new VP of marketing. I'm going to assume they didn't do this without his blessing. And I know that he made his debut appearance in front of the supporters group meeting this week. Do we have uh, can you guys report Dan in particular uh, any feedback of how that went? Did he did he hold up and play well with the kids? Um yeah, there's was, there was definitely some healthy skepticism about some of the things he uh, some of the things he proposed uh, in in just trying to get people into the stadium. I would say, like from from what I heard about uh, you know his his approach to traditional media and digital media, and I know there was definitely a, a, a specific use. The phrase was used of um, media. magician. No, not that one. Oh. Um, about a media ad by agency, you know, to get like good, you know, a good rate instead of going cap in hands. Like, Can we buy this ad time, this 30 seconds on the ticket for Bob Stam to read something? Um, <laughs> like they did for that weird 30 second thing they used to do uh, that was sponsored by Lemon something or other. Um, I forgot where I was going with this. You know, it, it seems like, I mean, he's got a a good idea of, of traditional and modern marketing, which is, and by the sounds of it, the willingness to use a budget and promote FC Dallas and the selling points of FC Dallas, not, hey, look at this guy that we were going to play against next week. I mean, that is such a breath of fresh air from what they've had the last few years. Oh, yeah, for sure. And maybe, again, not to fault anybody in particular, maybe it's just that the club's willing to actually spend money that they weren't uh, previously. You know, they've actually had people in the marketing role that are that knew what they were doing. They just didn't have any tools or money to do it with. Um, but in the feedback that I've heard about the meeting, I the 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 best thing that I heard was, and I think, Buzz, you were the one that told me about this, was, uh, how much money they're going to spend promoting on a game-to-game -game basis. And then the worst thing I heard was something about a magician. Well, the the overall vibe that has been communicated to us was that there was, from him to the group, was communication of this overall larger media buy, media spend, advertising budget. That's really exciting. It, then they got into some of the special things they're doing to try and create a better game day atmosphere to retain people that come once to get them to come back again. And a lot of it is carnival-esque, uh, minor league type, family-oriented stuff. Well, when you're telling all the supporters that, there's a giant groan and tune out because they're like, that's all dumb. Well, I totally get it. You know, like if you're trying to keep audience, I get it. Like some of that stuff, I totally understand. It's not unfair to think of Dallas, FC Dallas as a minor league type scenario. It kind of is when you're talking about the numbers of people there. You know, for me, the big takeaways are the increased spend and the idea that he's very interested in developing a relationship with the supporters. You know, he was taking good notes, I understand, was really wanting to say like, oh, where, where does that information come from? I'm going to get to the bottom of that. Now, lots of promises, of course. You got to see how he delivers. But I like the resume. I like that. I don't like the carnival atmosphere stuff, but I totally get the idea of retention being a big deal. 
you know, they, they have these one off. You buy one ticket and never come back. They don't, that's not good. You want people to buy a ticket, enjoy the game, whatever type of audience they are, and then come back again. So I, I get that part. The, the big problem is that I don't think he gets soccer culture. So he's going to need a fast lesson in soccer culture because I think the story was the first game he ever went to was the Portland game last year at the end of the year, and he didn't know where he saw all the Portland fans and were like, where are all the Dallas fans? So he's trying to figure out his way around it a bit still. So uh, Can you know, I be the devil's advocate for everyone from the whole supporters culture area? Sure. Um, on the, on the carnival stuff, uh, season ticket holders, you're probably looking at less than 10% are actually in the support of all overall season ticket holders are in the support section fill the stadium then get choosy about who's in it um and you know what you know they always want younger younger people because that that kind of atmosphere can resonate more with younger people and you always need new blood uh people do age out of the support section unfortunately um so those are the sort of things that you kind of can pull those in with and then the supporters can take over. Then the kids can be like, oh, yeah, I really like what they're doing over there. Um, one thing, it was definitely clear, and I think someone said he actually mentioned it, that he didn't really, he, he, he was new to supporters culture. He didn't really get it, but he wanted to learn. That is such a seismic shift from the uh, previous uh, head of marketing who... Uh, wanted to disband the supporters groups um you know supporters culture is 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 so huge we see it in every bit of marketing uh whether it's you watch the premier league marketing for nbc whether you watch mls marketing it's that those ravenous fans that that uh, are there rain or shine win or lose uh making the most noise and it is it is vital to you get to know that because that is your biggest free marketing asset. A bunch of walking billboards uh, who can sell the game to, to people. And uh, someone said they were really impressed that he he had examples of stuff he'd done with the Mavs or uh, or with McDonald's and that he had the contacts. The con- you know, marketing is 50% what you know, 50% who you know. So it was good that he could demonstrate things he knew and areas that he wanted to learn more about and people he knew. Well, again, he could be the best marketer in the world if he is given the tools and the budget to do it. Uh, That's the only way it's going to happen. But let me also make a case for a magician because (laughs) I can envision an FC Dallas world in the pregame hype up where a guy in a cape and a top hat and mustachioed comes out onto the field with the two captains and the center referee and pulls the coin that they will decide to flip with out from the referee's ear. I think that would be kicking. Can I just bring the soccer dogs back? They were really cool. The what? Do you remember the soccer dogs they used to have at halftime? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. You know what we need to do? We need to get the very Pablo Morrow mythical Dallas tornado monkey. Yeah. To show up because I'm still not sure that actually ever happened, but I still think even if it's a myth and it never did happen back in the 70s at ONB Stadium, it would totally kick ass to have a goal-celebrating monkey that runs around the goals after uh, Dallas scores goals, along with Disco Inferno. That would be fun. Yeah, bring back Disco Inferno. System. That's the key, yeah. <laughs> Clean up the stage a little bit. That'd be nice, too. Sorry, Dan. I didn't mean to uh, ruin your eloquent uh, summation of his stuff with a silly joke about pulling coins out of people's butts and stuff. But. Uh- 
Oh, I was going to say, I'm glad you, you didn't say he was going to pull out the ref's arse. He was going to pull out of his ear instead. <laughs> Maybe the uh, linesman's flags could just be pulled out of their asses too. Oh, well, that's no, that's where the game ball comes from, is the opposing captain's buttocks. Oh, that's magically, of course. Not really. It's a mad, it's an illusion, Dan. It doesn't actually happen that and way. And then he's limping around for the first 15 minutes of the game. <laughs> okay, it's taken a weird turn. It's all my fault. Apologies to everybody. Okay, anything else we've uh, prattled on a lot today? There was a lot of content to get into. Buzz, are we forgetting anything at this point? Uh, I don't think so. I'll let me look at my notes real quick. I, don't, I think that's got everything I got written down. Okay. Uh, I don't have anybody else. Dan, you got anybody else? Uh, no, but Ryan Hollinshead was uh, named uh, MLS Extra Times uh, top left back again. That's true. He was good, yeah. good for him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He looks healthy. Guess, if that means anything to you, I guess that means that left backs are only loved because they're really good at attacking and has. And like, if anybody on that list is anybody actually good at defending? Not really. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Well, poor, you know, poor Johnny it, Nelson. R.I.P. Johnny Nelson. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Like this, the shape based on uh, the, the tactics based on what I've seen so far, Johnny Nelson would have been a lot better fit than Ryan Hollingshead. You know, Ryan's a starter. That's fine. Um, you know, and, and Parker, the who the, the, the generation need this guy they've picked. It will be ready per, in the perfect amount of time to take Ryan's place in a year or two when Ryan's done. Because yeah, Ryan's thirty one. Parker whatever, defend. So. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Oh good. I mean, okay. he's a he's a converted winger too. But um, one of the things that all the draft reviews said of him is that he was a two-way player, and in particular, his work rate and energy and willing to get back and defend was part of why everyone's like, he's going to be a left back at the next level. So, you know, he's a two-way player grinder. Mm. Man, look at us. Look at all this soccer content we covered in the course of however many minutes and pun minutes we've been doing this. Hour How 10, many minutes? Right. All right, not bad, not yeah. bad, to, not bad at all. All right, well, um, here's where I, uh, Buzz. Here's I, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I had somebody request some kit talk. I don't know if we have any oh, kit talk, but somebody have, requested kit talk. <laughs> I have no. I wish I had uh, kit talk. Um, yeah, no, because I haven't. I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any hints at what the new MLS kits look like yet. They're doing a really good job of keeping that on the down low this year. Um, I have no idea what's coming. Um, we could probably give an explanation of the uh, of the mocks mockups we come up with, like how they are kind of spawned from. We get to see what MLS as a whole is doing, figure out the kind of templates, the kind of trims that everyone's getting, and and if everything is bespoke, if they're going to go to some kind of Adidas my team patterns or anything like that and kind of narrow it down from there and like you say everyone's every club has kept it to their chest Merritt Paulson hasn't uh leaked everything <laughs> yet the only leak I saw was the inter's gonna actually be pink so that's good yeah 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 uh yeah a couple of mint teams and, and more sky blue but uh <laughs> right, as, right. as far as what the jerseys look like yeah we really haven't seen a whole lot to to base it on we've we've heard a few things more about what may be on the FC Dallas jersey that we'll get to eventually. We know what the goalkeeper jerseys look like. We know what the training gear is going to look like when Adidas eventually delivers it. But that's about it. 
I don't know if you guys saw the tweet, but somebody else said, here's the new Inner Miami full kit. And it was like this little kid in a pair of chino shorts and a belt tucked in and like a short sleeve, white button up <laughs> collared shirt. I it was saw that. awesome with loafers and black socks. It was so awesome. <laughs> and by the way, that would be a sweet kit. Um, okay, well, that's it. Let's take a second to remember that Third Degree to Podcast is brought to you again by Soccer 90. Soccer 90 is your source for all your FC Dallas, US national team, and international club gear. Everything from jerseys, scarves, tees, and soccer equipment. All Third Degree listeners receive 25% off all other gear when you use code THIRDDEGREE at checkout on Soccer90.com. For the small print, some exclusions may apply. Okay, well, Dan, thank you very much for your... Uh, first off, I have to say thank you for your Tiny Tim impression earlier when you were doing that bit. I love your Tiny Tim. That's great stuff. Sorry, uh, what, what the hell are you talking about? You did a Tiny Tim voice earlier today when you were talking about um, uh, buying advertising time. Oh, gotcha. Okay, yeah, that was more all of a twist, but okay. Okay, well, what... Oh, Oh, yeah. No, I'm thinking of uh, of Scrooge. What is the kid's name? Yeah, that's Tiny Tim. Okay, well, that's who I, that's who I thought you were doing a voice of was Tiny Tim. Um, but, but thank you. Anyway, never mind. Thank you. All right, awkward dismount. And thank you, Buzz. Glad you went to practice, and I'm glad you're excited about the uh, North Texas coast. I love Oh, yeah, my excited. love affair. My love affair with Pomadou Kai is Have legit. you given him a hug? Yeah. Be careful going up there and just rushing up and assuming you're going to get a hug, okay? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to be following him around practice trying to Actually, I can't. I got to stand on something. But still, I'm super excited and uh hopefully everybody out there is excited for the 25th season of Third Degree. New t-shirt comes out tonight. I'm going to drop it with this podcast. Oh, are you really? We're getting a t-shirt. Season. Yeah, 25th season. Yeah, that's going to be crazy. a single season only celebration. You know, join us on the Patreon. I think you'd like it. It's good stuff on there. Uh, yes. And you know what? It is kind of fun to actually go into one of these seasons feeling really energized and good and not kind of like, uh, un, uh, needlessly hopeful. Like there's actually good vibes going on this season. I'm actually excited about the 2022 season. Yep. We, uh, we all are. Yes. And we hope you are too. FC Dallas curious fan. We'll speak to you next week on another episode of third degree, the podcast. Third degree, the third degree never get. Third degree, the third degree never get. Third degree, the third degree never get. Third degree, the third degree never get.